Okay, so here we are in our text today. We are in, in uh, Psalm 90, and I'm going to catch us up to speed very quickly. Heather, thank you for reading the whole psalm for us. It's kind of a biggie. Um, and I'm, I'm going to largely sit in the second half of the psalm today. This is the fourth and final week of our vision series, the first week being the gospel makes us the delighted family of God. There's a transition that happens. All people, every last one of us, you, me, my grandma, all of us, right? We are all under the same problem. We are anti-God. We don't necessarily know that or think that, but that's the way the Bible describes us. Enemies of God, aliens from God, children of darkness, were darkness, children of wrath, on and on and on, spiritually dead. So we are all under that same predicament. Jesus comes and enlightens everyone to that. It's the same Old Testament predicament as the New Testament predicament. Just Jesus comes and brings clarity to it and brings the true solution to it. Jesus says, you don't have to be there anymore. He goes, and I'm warning you, you don't want to be there anymore because that's treasonous against the God of heaven who made you and is now extending mercy to you. But the opposite of that is now no longer be separated from him, but to be with him. Not just in alignment to some degree, but actually to, to belong to him, to be owned by him, to be loved by him, to be his son and daughter. And if we wanted that, that's a problem because we couldn't get from enemy to son. We couldn't get from alien to daughter. There had to be someone who would carry us across. That's why Jesus died and rose again. That's why Jesus lived a perfect life and then died and then rose again to do the work so he could pick up Tristan and move Tristan from anti-God to pro-God, to be a God, not a pro-God, but to love God, to be a lover of God, as a son of God. So God does the transitionary work, does the transformational work through the work of Jesus, and there's a whole bunch of things in that, right? He does. He gives us a new heart. He puts a spirit into us. He makes us his family. But that new life is a life of, of, we looked in that first week, of being delighted in the Lord. We love the Lord our God. That's our new position. Now, we grow into that over time. The first week when you come to know Jesus, I mean, you might feel like, mmm, give me more Jesus, but often you don't feel that way, and especially by week two. There's this growth in our love for God, and it's not a passive one. You don't just lay around and wait for a big case of the love of God to hit you. Um, it's, this is a pursuit of God. Most of us that are married know what that means to some degree, because God has given us the gift of marriage to give you insights and modelings for this new relationship, this real relationship, the true marriage with Jesus. So we are now people who seek the Lord, give a new heart who actually delight the Lord, and we are his family. The second week was we are carriers of the majesty and the mission, the message of Jesus. So we testify that Jesus is the king, and he is coming back, and he rules perfectly, but he's extending mercy to us before he comes back. So we're carrying that message to all the people, and God's assigned us into worlds that, God's assigned you in a world that I'm not into, and he's assigned me in a world that you're not into. But in this room here of, however, say a hundred-ish adults here, um, each of us are stuffed in the lives of about 100 people. That's 10,000 people. 10,000 people within earshot, eyesight, prayer shot, life shot of God's beloved children. We're assigned there, and God has placed us there in this time for that cause. The third week, we hit last week with Andrew as he preached about the vital Word of God. All this stuff is fueled up on the Word of God. If we're not in the Word of God, if the Word of God's not in us, we're just drying up. Because the Word of God is the communication of the living God by the Spirit into our hearts, whereby the Spirit again takes that Word and informs us and transforms our hearts. We need the Word. We need to feast on the Word. This last week here is this. Is, I know it's kind of a funny term, but the eternal dream. 
and how it replaces the American dream. Unless you're not in America watching this, like in Ukraine or someplace else, or, right? Whatever that earthly dream it is, God replaces it with an eternal dream. Eternal dream. The first part of this, this psalm, I'm going to blow through it really fast. I would encourage you to have it open up so you can read it. Uh, part of the deal is we preach right straight from the scriptures here so you can make sure we're not lying. Um, verses 3 to 6. I read verses 1 to 2 earlier. Verses 3 to 6 are basically our lives fly by before our eternal God. Verses 3 to 6. You return, man, to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as but yesterday when it passed. Or as the watch in the night, you sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Our lives fly by before our eternal God. That's, that's where we're at in that first part, right? And then it moves on to the section where apart from God, our short lives bring about God's, um, our short lives bring about God's rightful and inescapable anger. That's the next chunk. For we are brought, verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Pause. Over the last couple of years, we keep reminding ourselves of the theme is sin is not measured upon its impact on another person. Sin is measured by its impact upon God. We, out of our natural thinking, tend to measure what is sin or how bad is sin based upon if it agitates or hurts or adversely affects another person. That is not how sin is measured. Sin is set before God himself. God is the judgment. So sin is a vertical measure, not primarily a horizontal measure, though it gets there. So you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, and yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. And if you're here, and I would say if you're over 40, um, you can heartily say amen to that, uh, maybe more than our crowd who's 20 and 30. Like, time is just like cooking. It is just blowing through. And I hear it just keeps getting faster and faster. I know it's faster now than it was when in my 30s, which is faster than 20s, and some of you guys that are up in the 60s and 70s days, you guys tell me it's even faster. So it just cooks out of here. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So this little section here, apart from God, our short lives bring about God's rightful and inescapable anger. But the truth is it doesn't, just because it starts that way, doesn't mean it has to end that way. It gets down to our passage here today. Because this is our fourth week in vision. I want to talk about like, the, the purpose of your life. If God, if by identity, has made us delighters in him, worshipers, as a family, on his mission, as fueled by his word, like, what is the purpose and shape of our lives? We auto-generate answers to that. You have it auto-generated in your head. There's probably, there's just, sometimes it's overt. I want to do this. When I grow up, I want to be a fireman. Sometimes those kind of things. But a lot of times, they're very just deeply woven heart answers to that. They usually involve pictures of significance or non, um, ease or non, um, love or non, uh, different things like that, right? And so some of us really want to be married, some of us don't. Some of us want kids, some of us don't. Some of us want a lot of money, some of us don't. Some of us want just to chill and not so much money, some of us don't. Different pictures of that. We have dreams, purposes, images in our hearts of our lives. But remember, we've now 
intersected by God's grace, we've intersected God himself. He buys us at a price, owns us, made us, and has now redeemed us, bought us again by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him. What I'm going to go at out of this psalm here is the language here that our lives really matter. Our short, eternal lives really matter. What does he want us to do with that? It starts in yieldedness, and then it works through a cautious process of penciling it in, right? Because you don't know what it is. I would tell you, I've been a Christian for a long time, and when I was younger, I remember sitting on a rock somewhere at Big Bear, California, and uh, at a junior high camp, and it was one of my first, I don't remember all, but I remember like just, it was kind of, we had solo time, and um, I, I remember just asking the Lord, like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then as time goes along, um, I'm still praying that. I'm listening to missionary things. And, like, you know, every Christian kid has the, has the threat of, like, God's going to call you to, like, be eaten alive by a tribe of cannibals in Papua New Guinea or something like that. So you're, I'm like, all right, Lord, if that's what it is, I'll do it. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I'm in college. And I'm listening to these sermons all the time. And I'm saying, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Um, what do you want me to do? And I had to go through the process of very much truly praying, God, do you want me to go overseas? At one point in time, I was offered a job in a ministry in, in Russia and opportunities to go different places. And, and I'm going, God, where do, you want, where do you want me to go? And there's a moment, speed version, this moment in my life, and I believe it was the year 1996 when I'm flying across the ocean, where I feel like the Lord brought me clarity to a certain narrowing of his vision for my life. And uh, as time has gone along, he's kind of narrowed it again here and there. Now, the outworking of that has changed from my 20s to my 30s to my 40s and whatever happens to be in my 50s, if I get that far, um, those specific assignments will change. But it starts in being yielded to the Lord and what do you want? And brothers and sisters, I, I guess this, as we go through this passage here, I just want to encourage you as you go along, and we're going to have a bunch of reflective prayer times as we go along. You, brother, sister, and Jesus Christ, have been bought at a great price. Yield your life to Christ and let him direct where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. He will not do that until you yield the auto-generated answers. Right, right now, it's a lot of times, it's automatically filled. If you woke up this morning, your heart has already been filled with those auto-generated answers. So part of this discovery is like, what fills my heart and what is my vision for my life? Yielding that to the Lord and saying, all right, Lord, um, I trust you. You are wise and compassionate and good. What do you want me to do? All right, our first piece in this is this eternal perspective. Look at verse 12 of, nine, of, of chapter 90 in Psalm. The words are this. So, so, this is the opposite of living a short life under the anger of God. This is this new life in God. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we may get a heart of wisdom. Ah, just, let's just kind of follow a logical trail of the text there. The end, what you need, is wisdom. Now, wisdom isn't being a walking fortune cookie. It's not wisping your gray beard to the side. It's not being that sage. Wisdom is understanding and valuing things with the same mind and heart as God has. That's biblical wisdom. So it's not just simply, hey, man, that person's wise. They can make good choices. That's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom goes farther than that, is actually not only understanding things, but at a heart level valuing them like God values them. That's true wisdom. So the end here is that we may get a heart of wisdom. And the way you get it, just, just look here right in the verse, 
Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So wisdom is gained when you know how to number your days. When you snap out of the zone that you think that this life is going to just keep going. That you're always going to be your age. And that you know what's ahead of you. Wisdom starts by this equation here when God teaches you to number your days, to recognize the brevity of your days on this earth and the preciousness that it is. And how do you number your days? The very first part. So teach us. We learn to number our days and thus gain God's perspective when we go to him and ask him for it in the first place. God's not looking for you to be one of those rare, super smart people that he encounters, luckily, upon this earth. God transforms us and God teaches us to number our days so that we might then gain his heart and his mind. So if we want the heart and mind, it starts with this. We sit in the favor of God and we say, God, please have your favor for us as your beloved son and beloved daughter. Please teach me to number my days. Let me see what life is. Um, If you've never seen Francis Chan's sermon on the rope, just go home later on, check out Francis Chan, rope. He does a really cool thing. He's the master of physical things. But like he uses this rope basically to show like, that he has life and this little taped a bit of the rope and it's like green section and he's like, you know, showing you how small life is. But then he has this rope that extends for around the room, whatever, how short our life is. Our life is limited. It is short. God says it time and time again. It's like a vapor that comes through the air and goes away. Life is extremely short. So number one, we're asking God for an eternal perspective. Please teach me. Don't tell him how you've already got it. Go to him and say, I'm a wee little woman. I'm a wee little man with a wee little brain. And it's all jacked up. I'm loved by you, but it's all messed up. And I need you to teach me. You will not know it unless the Lord teaches me, teaches you. So ask him to teach you because that's what he advertises he does. Teach me to number my days so that I might get heart and wisdom. Because don't you want to stop being an eternal fool? Don't you want to be an eternal wise one? Don't you want to be someone that God himself says, that's wise? And the only way God ever points and says, that's wise, is when he teaches us. So one one path into it. So let's go. Let's ask the Lord. Let's quit posturing with each other like, I'm so wise or I don't need to be taught. If you don't need to be taught, you don't want to be wise. So how do we look at this life, this eternal perspective? Is my life a now life, or is my life an eternal life? Is it truly short, and will it blow through the calendar days, or will it just stretch on, especially when you're younger, let's say you're in your teens, or your 20s, a lot of times you just kind of feel like, oh man, my parents are so old. Um, it's going to be forever until I get that old, right? It's not going to be forever until you get that old at all. Uh, I remember the first moment, uh, I remember the first moment uh, my my uh, my my wife's parents they started a family very young, and um, I remember one point I'm probably 43 or 44, 49 now in case you're wondering. Um, and I remember doing some math one day and all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, I met Dawn, my father-in-law, when he was 42, like when I was getting married to Melissa. I'm two years older. I mean, I, at that time, I thought, oh, he's just in a different lifespan over there, right? And I blinked, and all of a sudden, I'm older than he was. And I'm like, but I'm, but I'm still just a junior higher stuff than a man suit. Like, I, what? <laughs> uh, it was just kind of mind-bending, right? So I know it may be hard to feel this when you're in your 20s or teens. 
But I'm just telling you, life is short. What will you see your life as? Will you see your life as a now life and a life that keeps going? Or will you see your life and understand it from early days that my life is short? My life is short and my life is precious. It's very limited, very precious. God tells us <coughs> that the truly wise are created as they seek God's shaping of their heart, particularly through a grasp of the significance of the brevity of their earthly days. Would you guys just bow your heads with me? I'm going to say something, and I'd encourage you to discuss this before the Lord. Father, please teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. I even say, Father, teach us to number our hours. Today, teach us to number our hours. All right, verse 13. Our second piece is this. Number one, do we not only gain, we gain our eternal perspective, but number two, we await Jesus. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Old Testament, New Testament, there's all this return language, right? Come, come again. Here we have in the Old Testament saying, please, Lord, return. Fast forward a bunch of time, and Jesus did come. Jesus did come. He came in a different way that they were all expecting, but he came. And then he left again. And he says, I'm coming again. So Old Testament, New Testament, we're still a bunch of people waiting for God himself. The core of wisdom is longing for not so much the blessings of God. The core of wisdom is waiting for and longing for God himself and all the things that come from him. Longing for the steadfast love of the Lord Wisdom itself is longing for God to be with him. In New Testament, it's waiting for Jesus. And that's why um, in this waiting week every year, uh, we do this thing where we, we try to refresh ourselves to wait for Jesus, to really, really wait for Jesus. So if you watched our learning week this week, and if you froze the screen on something I said, this might get old, but you might not have heard me say this this past week. But here's a couple of passages. I just want to introduce you to this. If you're a Christian, Part of the thing that defines you is that you are an active awaiter for Jesus to return. It's actually part of what's supposed to happen. Mark 20, Jesus says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. That's Jesus. Okay, days are coming when I'm going to be taken away. And then my disciples will fast in that day. Then they will fast in that day. Why? Because our Savior isn't with us. He's not physically with us right now. Yes, he's given us a spirit, but physically he's not with us. He's, so Jesus expects in the days that he leaves, which are those days, that his people, they will be people who do this thing called fasting in honor of the fact that he's not here and hoping he'll come back soon. So he mentions that in verse 20 of chapter, Mark chapter 2.20. Uh, but here this language other places in the scriptures. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, not to die on the cross again, but to save those. Who's going to save? Those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Man, there have been so many months of my life as a Christian where this has been off the radar. I haven't been eagerly waiting for him. Sometimes I've been eagerly engaged actually in what he wants me to do, but there's that, still that category of like looking to him and waiting for him. He comes back for those who are eagerly waiting for him. Why? Because we love him and we want to be with him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or shall we say in 1 Thessalonians, what I'm saying is the awaiting of Jesus may be shockingly more present in the New Testament than we may see originally. Jesus is expecting you to notice that he's not sitting next to you right now, and that you want him, you love him. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-10, For they themselves report concerning to us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await for his Son from heaven. So we as people now seek this eternal perspective and we wait for our Savior. And so we as a church do things to help foster that. Um, and uh, just for me personally, I feel like I want to dive more deeply into this. So this year I'm installing a few things in my private prayer life and some stuff that I'm going to focus on wanting to really grow in my personal awaiting of Jesus to return. So you can ask me in a year from now how good that is, okay? And I'll tell you, it may not be pretty, but I'm going that way. I feel like God's directing my heart to grow and waiting for him. So would you guys bow your heads for a second and reflect on this before him? So given, you're not, you're not listening to me with this. You're taking this and you're praying this for the Lord, okay? Father, please give me a heart that truly awaits the physical return of Jesus. Verse 14, our first piece of this, of the eternal dream, is that we are people with internal perspective, a new perspective that counts our days. The second piece is we wait on God. The third piece is found in verses 14 to 16. We delight in that God now. We delight in that God. Now, we mentioned this three weeks ago. We're just going to touch it for a second here. And if you weren't there three weeks ago, I would encourage you to go back to make sure that, I mean, it's a weird thing. Maybe you actually haven't thought about that. But is that really what God has saved us for, is people to delight and love in him? And so if you weren't there three weeks ago, I would encourage you to go back and get it, but we'll just kind of scratch it right here because this is it. This is the Old Testament, New Testament, the same pieces here. Here we go. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Days of hunger, days of loss, days of gain, days of celebration, days of wedding, days of funerals, days of sickness, days of withdrawals, that may, we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Why? Because he, is, he has satisfied us in the morning with the steadfast love. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and as for many years as we have seen evil. And we have seen evil, haven't we, brothers and sisters? I mean, this week, even people in governmental authorities killing people in our country and other places. Um, we've seen evil. I don't know if you guys saw on the news. Remember those two little kids that were uh, uh, carjacked down here in Columbus? One of those babies died last night, choked to death. When we see evil, we see wickedness, we see brokenness all the way around us. So we've seen it. Make us glad for as many days you've afflicted us, as many days as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to the children. So right below our floors, between Below six inches of concrete are a whole load of little sweet souls down there. 
This passage here is saying, God, do something really good to us here. Satisfy my heart, our heart. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. So in the new way, with not only who you are, but your perspective towards this, this steadfast love. It's a theme in the Old Testament with a special word. So let me see that steadfast love daily. Satisfy us. Do this work in us. Make, make us glad and rejoice in a way that it goes over even the hard things that we see. And not only do it to us, but do it to our kids. Do it to our kids. Let your work be shown to your servants, that's us, and your glorious power to their children. So do this work in us, and please be now doing this here and them downstairs. And when they get put to bed at night in these various houses, please do this. And those of us, when we're hosting MVM children, please do this to them. Show them your glorious, wonderful power and make their hearts rejoice in it. So loving for God, loving God, it's a delight in Him, a satisfaction in Him, and a steadfast love. It's not marginal. It's not optional. It's not the turbo that gets so often. It's really describing who we are. We are now lovers of God. Um, this is Christianity 101, okay, in case you haven't hit this before. Old Testament and New Testament, there's a first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your muchness, okay? Stated in Deuteronomy. It's stated again in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's reiterated again in um, Revelation chapter 2. First and greatest commandment, you love him. Not loyal to him. Not just obey him. Love him. It's been there from the beginning. It's what, is it, what is this new life with God? This new life of, of gladness in him. And gladness by looking at his love, looking at his works, looking at his power, which is not horrible but adoring, adoring with his power. The end of satisfaction is gladness and rejoicing. We experience something new, a foreign joy that's not in us. Okay, so if you're thinking, like, I don't understand that. I, I've not experienced that. That's okay, but because in your flesh, you don't have that. Uh, none of us do. We're not born in this world delighting in God. That happens when God saves us, gives us a new heart, and then grows us into that. So this is a new reality. It's a foreign joy. It's a new gladness. We have all kinds of gladnesses and rejoicings and joys, and we can reference those a little bit, but God's going to give us something newer and deeper. And how do you get it? You ask again for it. Satisfy us. Don't tell God, I'm one of those guys that got satisfied in your love. No, no, no. Those who are satisfied in God ask God for changing of their heart, and then they ask God to do this work of satisfying their heart in him, in his steadfast love, in his works, in his glorious deeds. I'd say this here. So some who would hear me today, you're like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, you're still trying to figure out what it means to trust in Jesus. Or you're hearing it all, and you're like, this sits categorically in that stuff that I don't like about Jesus and the myth of Jesus or those kind of things. Um, I just want to talk to you guys if, if you are, are Christians in this sense. If you're not a Christian, this is only something God can do in you. This is what you were designed for. This is what you'd be reached purchased for. If you are a Christian, I'd say this. If you're not experiencing or growing in a sense of genuine, authentic satisfaction in God, in his love, in his power, in his works, then I'd say you should be cautious. Cautious. So if you're not experiencing that, if you're like, okay, I hear it, but it's not registering in me, in all honesty. Like, I, I don't delight in the Lord. I'm not 
satisfied in his love. I'm satisfied in a bunch of other stuff. I would say be cautious. Why? Because God has promised transformation of the heart to those who genuinely seek him. And if a person is not seeing that happen, then something is wrong or maybe wrong. It is wrong or maybe wrong. Here's why I say maybe wrong. Sometimes God's doing stuff in you that you can't see because you're just too close. I've experienced that in my life where I felt like, <clears throat> man, the Lord isn't doing something until all of a sudden one of God's really great people is next to me and go, are you kidding me? Um, and they, they get me to step back a little bit and go, hey, let's just remember the last six months. Let's remember the last six years of where, describe yourself then, describe yourself now. I don't think it's fair to say that God has been cheap in his work on you. And they were really helpful to me, not rebuking me, but helping me see like, oh, he actually has been doing it. And there actually have been a whole bunch of times where I've been delighting him and growing in him. So God's people have been helped because sometimes we're a little too close to see this. But the truth is sometimes God's people will be there with you and, and you're like, I, I, my heart doesn't delight in you and, and, and God, and you were listening, and you're like, ah, that might be fair. Well, here's the nice part. The solution is always the same. We get back on our knees and authentically beg the Lord, please give me this work. He says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will not withhold on you if you authentically and genuinely cried out to him for it. He loves you as your father. He will not deny you the best things. What are the best things? He is the best thing. So if there's ever a prayer in your life as a believer you can know you're going to get is when you're coming for your father and you are all out, earnest in it, this is where I say cautious with the earnestness. I mean, all of us have felt pretty good after some song with a heavy bass line, okay? Or like when we've been really emotional, <clears throat> or highly hormonal, really hungry, really tired. And we may confuse some of those things with authenticity sometimes. But God's promise is if we earnestly seek him, if we ask him, he rewards that. He gives that. So brothers and sisters, if you, without abandon, go before him, and how do I suggest you do that? I say without abandon, without bodily abandon, with bodily abandon and vocal abandon. Get down on your knees and with your full volume, um, say, Lord, I am messed up and I'm, I'm cold towards you. And I want, you've told me you'll give me this and I don't see this. I'm not seeing this. Help me see what you're doing and give me more, give me more, give me more. He will do it. I'm not telling you how fast he will do it and to what degree he'll do it, but he will do it because everything God does in the transformation of us here, not the salvation of us, but the transformation of us is progressive. It grows over time. And some of us experience vast growth right away. Some of us experience slow growth over time, but it grows and it grows through cycles of repentance. And I would tell you, it's not easy. Um, I, could, I could tell you about my last 20 years. Oh, I could tell you more failures than wins. But I can tell you about how I try to do that myself and why I have a yoga mat in the office so that I can, because I have a bump on my knee, it hurts to kneel on my knee, right? So I can be on my knees and like beg out to the Lord because sometimes there's a casualty in my heart that just, honestly, I just need to physically get down on my knees or get out of my face to help break through that casualness, right? And uh, I need to wait till Dempsey's out of the office so I can cry out to the Lord out loud um, or go in the woods and do that or a favorite spot, the Audubon Park, look like a weirdo, but where I can really just pour out my heart. If you're not experiencing delight in the Lord, pour out your heart before him and say, God, please give me this. This is your words. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may be glad and rejoice. Not because that's my idea. That's because your idea. 
The God of heaven has advertised that in front of your eyeballs this morning. He's offered that. So take him up, but he'll take earnestness. So if you're not experiencing it, be cautious. And as much as you're experiencing, praise God for it. Bow your heads, please. Consider this. Father, please protect me from being anyone other than one who is satisfied in you. Make me authentically glad in your love and in you. Give me eyes to see, delight my heart as you've advertised. Father, dislodge the things that have captured our hearts. Please do this work. Satisfy our hearts. Corporately together, Father, satisfy our heart in you. Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 17. It's our last piece of this song. The last part is use my life. Verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of of our hands. Really unique language there. Let what I do matter. Let what I do matter and let it last. Let my life, my life work matter before your eyes, Father. Let my life have significance in your plan or mission. So, significance. Let what I do matter. And let me hit a fat timeout right here. Okay, in our room here, actually, they're all gone this morning. We've got surgeons. They're all cutting on people this morning. When a surgeon comes in on a big fat knee or something like that they're going to work on, um, one of the things they want to be really careful about doing is not introducing pathogens and infectious things to that area. So they swab it with that yellow stuff, you know, and they use sterile things and they pull it out of the peely things, right? And they, they're going to get down on that thing, but they really want to make sure it's cautiously done. This here, when you're asking for your life to matter, to establish the works of my hands, scrub down your heart with the yellowness of the gospel. Listen, your life is accepted by God through the work of Jesus. And you need to re-square that up before you get down in on purpose issues. Purpose issues are about the pleasures of God in the children that he already accepts. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are accepted, you are loved. Do not introduce in the concepts of seeking how to make my life matter, introduce unsurety in his love. As if my life, if it's significant enough, then you'll accept. Uh, wrong. Clean it up with that gospel prep. You are loved. You are accepted. Your Father in heaven has pleasure, greater and lesser pleasures, in the children that he loves. We do things that grieve his heart. He doesn't take his love away from us. We do things that please his heart. It doesn't increase his love for us. The love is steady. The acceptance is there. But we're talking about the pleasures of God in the children that he eternally loves. So there's my time out. Be very cautious about your view of the significance of your life when you pray through this concept. Establish the works of my hands. Listen, listen to this language out of Paul, Philippians 1.20. As it is my eager expectation hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Love secured and yet still praying now for the significance of his life, that his life is Christ. Let what I do matters. Let my life, let my work matter before his eyes. 
not for acceptance, but for your glory. Um, and then be very careful to what you decide you think that would be. Um, a lot of us in the room have come to conclusions on what that would look like. If God was to establish the works of my hands for eternal purposes so that my short life had eternal things, we have too quickly fallen in love with certain images of that. We would be a pastor, or we would be an author, or we would be an amazing business owner, or we would be this or that, or a surgeon, or a mom, or a non-mom, or whatever the things are, we have these images that we think, okay, if I'm going to have a life that matters, it's going to be that. That is the Lord's business. Feel free to bring that before the Lord and ask Him for direction and guidance. Watch the things He continues to gift with, and then watch the things He affirms with. I will just tell you that for the last 12 years here at Cross City, um, the Lord has built up and tore down and built up and tore down those things in my heart. I had thoughts of what would happen here when I moved to Columbus. I had thoughts of what would happen when uh, I would be the primary teacher guy at a church. I had little images. And God's like, nope. And I'm like, okay, what? And he would just take it down. And every time he'd take it down, it would hurt traumatically because I'd fallen too in love with it. But that's the Lord's business. And I'm really thankful he's taken it down because I don't need my images of that. I need to be right where he has me to be. But we as believers, as loved children of God, if we've rested in Jesus, he has created our short lives for good works. Consider these, Titus 2.14, and to purify for himself a people of his own position who are zealous for good works. Titus 3.8, so as those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves, devote themselves to good works, zealous for good works, devote themselves to good works. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every, every resolve for good works. Listen, 90% of our lives in Jesus will look the same. Chase Jesus with all your heart. Love him. Delight in him. Love his people to death. Weave your life in there. And really gospel, love, and message the world that he's assigned to you. 90% of our lives are the same. But there's 10% of a uniqueness of how he will shape your life. When we come to him and say, God, all right, my life is yours. How do you want my short little life of 80 years or 30 years? It's yours. Please establish it. You, use my short life for eternal purposes. And I don't know by definition what that would be. I have some stuff that I think would be great and cool. Um, or I fancy myself as being gifted by, but I don't know these things. So please establish my life and how you want it today, in this season, and in the next season. It's not worth it because what you ultimately will do, you have a life right here, right now, these next four months, in this semester, in this job, you have a life that he's given you. You're asking him now to establish the works of your hands in your life right now as he's assigned you, and then asking him to lead you to the next things. It's what Moses did. Moses prayed, teach me to number my days. Moses prayed by the Spirit of God, satisfy my heart in your steadfast love. Moses prayed, please establish the works of my hands. So brothers, I'm going to finish, and sisters, I'm going to finish off with this, um, a couple more prayers for you guys, just for you to pray for the Lord. So would you guys please bow your heads. This is about your dreams for yourself. Father, I yield my natural 
American earthly dreams for an eternal dream, a life of eternal purpose. I give it to you. Father, expose the overt or hidden desires and dreams of my heart that derail me from eternal thinking. Give me the courage to repent and cling to you. Father, my spot of life right now is yours. Right now, it matters, it belongs to you. No preseason. <clears throat> Father, you've assigned this season to me and it's yours. And every season after this will be yours. Now consider um, talents and energy that he's given you. Uh, what are the talents and energy that you've given me, Father? What are the spiritual gifts and abilities you've given me? How do you want me to prepare and invest my life? Father, living at your assignment will be the best and most delightful for my soul. Finally, <clears throat> I will go, I will live anywhere you want me to live and engage in anything you have for me. I'm yours, I'm yours. So Father, I just close our, our time of your word today as we go back into some songs of praise to you. <sighs> With remembrance, Lord, that, that you carry wisdom and have extended the wisdom to us. Father, please give us this promised new life, this eternal perspective, this eternal dream. Father, please do teach us to be aware of and value the brevity of our lives and the seasons of those lives. Give us that perspective that you have. Father, please, um, at the, the, the core of us, let us be people who love you and are satisfied and delight in you, that the delightfulness of you far outreaches all the sub-delights that you've given us that are good too, Lord, but better. So please give that to us. We won't have that in our own strength. So please give that to us and give us the heart to chase into that. Father, we then ask that you would please establish the work of our hands. Lord, our lives are short and we want our lives to, though they are accepted before you because of the work of Jesus, we want our lives to be pleasing to you. So Father, I pray that you would please let our people of our church, we as a church family, Lord, let us be very, very in tune um, with the purpose of our lives and to grow in our understanding of it and to embrace it in every season as it is unfolded right now in front of us what the assignment is. And establish it, Father. Let our lives matter for your glory. Let our lives matter for the plan and mission of Jesus. Let our lives not be a waste eternally. 
that you might be glorified and that we might taste great delight and joy in our great Father who has used our life and is satisfying our hearts in his steadfast love and has made us his glorious works. And all my brothers and sisters said, amen. Um, if I've said anything today that is confusing or you want help thinking through, uh, catch us afterwards. In our MCs, I would really encourage you guys to be thinking this stuff through together and talk through. It can be kind of mysterious, right? And so uh, let's be God's family and work this, this together, not to come in front, of the, in front of each other and pose on each other, but to come and grow with one another as we seek God's shape in our life.